Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you enjoy the podcast, please give it a rating and review. If you want to support the podcast, you can at patreon.com slash Bairdo. That's B-A-I-R-D-O. Today, I'm looking at the mining years of Bruce Mines, Ontario. As with so many places in Canada, precious resources would mark the beginning of Bruce Mines, a community in northern Ontario with a history made more interesting by the residents who made that history. Copper would be the birth of Bruce Mines. The First Nations people were aware of the copper in the area and would trade with the Europeans who arrived knowing its importance to these new arrivals. Samuel de Champlain would record the existence of copper in the area in 1632 as well. The community got its start in 1846 when settlers to the area began to mine the copper. This was thanks to Indian agent John Keating and land surveyor Arthur Rankin who saw the potential for copper in the area while traveling through. Named for James Bruce, the Governor General of Canada at the time, Bruce Mines was only the second ever copper mining town in North America, and the first in Canada. Bruce Mines also has the distinction of being the first town in Northern Ontario. The copper mine would bring many miners from Cornwall, England to begin working in the mine as Keating approached many of these new immigrants to come and work the mine in the hopes of utilizing their skills. A company, the Huron and St. Mary's Copper Company, was established in 1847. The first load of copper ore was shipped out to Wales. By 1848, there were 250 people living in the community, which consisted of three wood frame buildings and 30 log houses. Many residents lived in tents due to the shortage of housing, and in all, 63 people were employed in the mines. The mines attracted a wide variety of people. John Cooper was one such person. He would come to Canada as part of the first group of Selkirk settlers en route to Upper Canada, what would one day be Manitoba. With his father-in-law, he worked for the Hudson's Bay Company for four years, before joining a party of 140 people who came down the Great Lakes to open boats to Toronto. While in Prince Edward County, they would get into a skirmish with Governor Semple of the Hudson's Bay Company, which resulted in the death of Semple. John was arrested and tried, with John Diefenbaker's grandfather serving as his lawyer and helping to get the men acquitted of the crime. John then came to the Bruce Mines area and began to work as a farmer. How true this account is, I don't know. But if it is the case, then this means that John Cooper took part in the Battle of Seven Oaks during the Pemmican War, which is where Semple died. Cooper would have been one of the 17 men tried for the murder. 
You can actually learn all about the Pemmican War and the Battle of Seven Oaks by listening to my podcast episode on the Northwest Company. The large influx of miners from Cornwall also created a unique dialect for the community during those years. Norma Watkinson related some of those phrases that she remembered hearing from her youth, including calling April, April month, and using phrases such as up along with we and I'll soon fix he. The mining company quickly took hold of the town to ensure that it could keep moving the flow of money through its own hands. With the community on the shores of Lake Huron, the mining company built wharfs and docks in the bay, and two mine managers built their homes at the entrance of the main dock. And this allowed the company to ensure only approved boats used the dock. In addition, the mining company did not allow any stores to open in their town, and residents had to purchase everything from the company's store. In order to provide some sort of competition to this monopoly, the Marx Brothers from Hilton Beach would load a barge on a nearby island and bring it towards Bruce Mines. Since they could not land at the dock, they would anchor in the middle of the bay and miners would row and paddle out to get merchandise from them. The company would eventually give in, allowing the brothers to open a store in the town. The early community was related in the chronicles of Helen Coltier, as she made her way across the country with her family of settlers. Now this is a direct quote, so I've not changed the phrase to describe an indigenous person. The mines were going. They rented a house to stay in. The first night my relatives were there, they stayed in a house that had merely open spaces for windows and doors. However, it was shelter, and they had their possessions with them. Mrs. Pink, Mrs. Brown, and Mrs. Lowen were afraid of Indians so they piled their crates and trunks and things across the doorway. At first they forgot about the windows, but then Grandma thought of those and they hung blankets over them. During the evening, sure enough, an Indian came. He wanted to play his violin to them. The fact that he was an Indian terrified them. They tried to convince him they did not want him around, but they were not sure if he had left. So they decided to keep watch. It was getting dark and they could see an object in the dusk. That Indian was watching them. They kept looking out from behind the curtains and sure enough, he would still be there. I do not think they slept a wink all night. The next morning, the Indian turned out to be a great big Scotch thistle. By 1858, the community had grown heavily to include 75 homes and 300 miners. But that growth was not without problems. In 1849, a cholera epidemic came to the village killing several people, and it was believed that impure water was the cause. Now, during the mining years of Bruce Mines, various ships would ferry passengers throughout the area and beyond to the other ports in Lake Superior and Lake Huron. One ship was a cruiser called the Rescue, which launched in 1858. And on its maiden voyage on July 12th, with Captain Kennedy at the helm, the ship made its way to Bruce Mines and docked at the wharf. According to the Sioux Daily Star, at Bruce Mines, passengers were allowed to inspect the process of extracting ore from the bowels of the earth. These ships provided an excellent if somewhat a legal way, to make money for the young people of the town. In telling the story of John Tees, it was stated, I remember my father telling us about the young kids in town. They would gather a bunch of fool's gold from the mine, and when they would hear a boat coming into the dock, they would rush down with their pieces of rocks and sell them to the passengers on the boat for a penny. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. 
Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The mining years of Bruce Mines helped make the community one of the most important in the region. Arthur Chapman, relating the arrival of his father William to the community in 1855, said, At that time, the mines were booming. A large business section had sprung up, and Bruce Mines was the main settlement on the North Shore. Sault Ste. Marie was a mere trading post with a few white settlers. By 1868, according to one account from Joyce McMillan, relating to the life of her grandfather, William Inch, the community had a population of 1,100 with the mines operating at near peak capacity. In July 1863, a forest fire tore through the community, destroying many homes and leaving a good portion of the population homeless. The residents rebuilt, though, and continued on. But those good times are not to last. By 1865, production of copper was down heavily. While copper had been selling for 24 cents a pound in 1850, it was now selling for 14 cents a pound. And by 1876, due to cave-ins, flooding, and poor profits, the mines closed. An excellent look at the community after the closure of the mines comes from W. Fraser Ray, who traveled from Newfoundland to Manitoba in 1881, and described the community as such. A very different impression was produced by the site of the Bruce Mines. This was once a busy settlement, now it is in decay with many of the houses empty and the church seems falling into ruin. The copper mines around which the settlement had gathered belonged to an English company. A gentleman who managed one of the principal mines told me that, if copper were to fetch just 16 cents a pound again, all these mines would return large dividends. But at the present price of copper, they must be worked at a heavy loss. The works are stopped and the only machinery is not only idle, but is deteriorating rapidly. Another account from around this time comes from the book My Canadian Journal, which chronicles the letters home of Governor General Lord Dufferin's wife, Harriet. Writing in July of 1874, she said, The evening was a little rough, but we stopped at Bruce Mines for the night, Friday, 31st. At six in the morning, we went ashore to see the copper mines, which are not flourishing, though the ground appears to be covered with the mineral, and we picked up many a great specimens. The mines would stay closed for the most part, except for occasional efforts to open them through the late part of the 19th century and early 20th century. Mining would resume from 1915 to 1921, before ending for good after that, with an official decommissioning of the mines happening in 1944. At this point, forestry and tourism took over as the main industries for the community. Today, Bruce Mines is still a community along the Trans-Canada Highway with hundreds of residents, and the main industry is tourism. Information for this article comes from Wikipedia. As told to me, memories of Helen Coltier, Newfoundland to Manitoba, A Guide Through Canada, My Canadian Journal, Sue Today, 
and Bruce Mines Heritage. I hope you enjoyed this look at Bruce Mines mining history, and if you did, please give a rating and review. You can reach me with any questions you have at my email address, crwbaird at gmail.com, and you can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history on my website at canadax.blogspot.ca. That's